0: This is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Look, I've been talking a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives over the last few weeks. But today, I'm gonna take a different approach. Today, I'm gonna use the scripture to show you that you, in fact, may not need the Holy Spirit in your life so what am i talking about here well give it a chance have a listen and let's see what the bible says about our need for the holy spirit this year i'm talking about taking a stand because the storm is blowing Jesus told us the storm would come, right? And the storm is here, and it's blowing. And we see it in evidence in every way that we experience our lives. When we watch the news, when we buy gas, when we uh, deal with our family, when we deal at work, the storm is here. And so we're talking about standing, about building our house because Jesus said the way to deal with the storm is to build your house and so all this year that's what we're talking about and if you want to get caught up there's a on your note sheet there's a little qr code right here in the bottom left hand corner that you can scan and it will take you right to the very beginning of this whole message series, which started in the beginning of January. And I just wanna invite you, you probably don't have time to listen to all of them uh, to this point, but I would encourage you to listen to the very first one, because that will kinda set the tone for everything else that we're talking about for most of this year. It's about standing, and right now, in march we're talking specifically about standing in the power of the holy spirit this is week three of talking about standing in the power of the holy spirit and i'm kind of going to take a little bit of a different approach today is that okay Yeah, I've been asking some big questions and uh, kind of positioning things, hoping to get you to think about what it means to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna take a different approach today. For the last two weeks, I've been talking about why you need the Holy Spirit in your life. And today, I wanna talk about why you don't really need the Holy Spirit in your life. And it turns out, most of us don't that's right i said it most of us don't need the power of the holy spirit did you hear what i said yeah so what are you talking about steve are you are you contradicting everything you've been saying or what's going on here well let me just kind of let me kind of frame this up and see what you think by the end of this message and i know it's kind of weird up here i'm standing in a spot that i'm even not used to standing in uh i'm used to standing you know here, not here, but we kind of had a different worship set up today. By the way, how'd you like that little small, intimate, kind of quieter set today? That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Thank you, Jeff, for setting all that up. Uh, and Chelsea and Becca, that was a really tepid applause for you guys. Uh, but I love you, and I appreciate you guys doing that. Where is Becca? She left angry, probably, already, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I want to talk about this, because I know, I know it's probably the question in the back of a lot of your minds. I've already got Jesus why do I really need the Holy Spirit so I want to kind of deal with that I hope you're gonna follow along we're gonna be looking at uh, uh, words from other languages a little bit today and stuff so I really hope you'll take advantage of the note sheet that we've got produced for you this morning and I want to go right into the word this morning I want to start in Romans chapter 8 this morning, and I hope that you'll uh, read along with me. Here's what Paul says to you and to me He says that you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. So why do you need the Spirit? You've got Him. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is in you. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes that when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. So what's the Bible talking about here? If the Bible is saying that I had the Spirit... What does that really mean if I don't feel like I have the Spirit? If the Bible says I have the Spirit, but I'm not really feeling like I experience the power of the Spirit, what does this really mean? What's the Bible trying to tell me here? What's Paul writing about here? Well, what does it mean when he says the Holy Spirit? I want to look at the word Spirit in the Bible. I want to start in the Old Testament, and just here's the definition. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Spirit is this word ruach. Everybody say that with me. Ruach, you got to do the big, do the big snot thing going on in the back of your throat. Ruach, come on, say it. Ruach. I want to hear that. Yeah, it's good. Ruach, that's what it, that's what it is. That's the word for spirit in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in Hebrew, the word is Numa. Numa, everybody say that with me. Numa, yeah, yeah, that's the word in the New Testament for spirit. So whenever you see the word spirit, you're, you're seeing in the New Testament this word in the Old Testament ruach. And so when you think of the word spirit, what, what comes to mind? You know, some of us think of a, like a ghost. Some of us think of like a presence. But for the Hebrew mind, the word spirit did not mean something else. It meant something about you in a lot of ways. So let's try this out. We can do this today because there's no masks in the room. Take your hand and place it up against your face like this, just a little bit in front of your face, and just breathe <sighs> on your hand. Go ahead and just breathe. <sighs> you feel that? You feel that on my palm of your hand? Do it again. <sighs> you feel that? Yeah, when you breathe on your hand like that, you feel something. What do you feel? Warmth. Air. There's a little bit of moisture there. Maybe you just realized you needed a breath mint. (laughs) Right? Because something of you has come out And it's hit your hand there. There's something of you, some kind of presence, something more than just some spirit. There's something of you. In the Hebrew mind, in the Greek language, the word pneuma means more than just spirit. In fact, the first blank on your page, pneuma means life, breath, essence, and existence. It's really the... It's really who you are, your spirit, your essence, your existence. And when the scripture talks about the Holy Spirit, it's the life, the breath, the essence, the existence of God. And we talked last week about how when the spirit resides in you, the believer, that the spirit is a hundred percent. God, So 100% of God comes to dwell in you and in me. And here's what Paul says in Galatians 5 about that. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You see the contrast that Paul's drawing here? He's clearly drawing us a picture of two different types of existence. I kinda got a diagram, I had two circles last week, I got two circles this week, and there's blanks here that you can fill in on your page. He's talking about two different types of existence the sinful nature, and the spirit. And what Paul is telling us is that we've kind of got both of these going on in our lives. We kind of have one foot in each circle, and we're kind of straddling that in our own lives. Do you feel that tension in your life sometimes? Do you feel like Paul did when he said, you know, I know who I ought to be, in the spirit, but I know who I'm stuck in to some degree in the flesh. I wanna be this, but too often I'm like this. Do you feel that tension in your life? Man, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm standing here, and we're singing the song, Nothing Else, Jeff, and we're talking about how I don't want the blessings, I don't want the gifts, I, I don't have an agenda for you, God, I just want you. I'm here for you. And I'm standing over here while we're singing that song and I've got to repent. You know, I've got to pray. And I've got to say, God, you know, I've got agendas for you. I've got things I want. I want you to do things in my life for me the way I want them. Because I'm straddling two different things. Do you feel that tension in your life sometimes? The way the scripture describes This existence here, this thing that we tend to have one foot in, it describes it as spiritual death, right? It describes this as death and this as life, right? Ephesians 2, Paul says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience, And your many sins. You used to live fully in sin. You used to have both feet solidly grounded in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen. World. You used to be spiritually dead. You know, it's a big thing for people in the world today to have a spiritual component in their life, but the scripture teaches that outside of Christ, you're spiritually dead. In fact, in Colossians, he says, You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. You were dead. But now God's made you alive, yet we still feel that tension. We still feel that old, sinful nature pulling at us. Am I right? And the Holy Spirit's saying, well, I want you to step into life. I want you to experience power. I want you to know the abundance that I have for you. But we still kind of have one foot in the scarcity We think we got to hoard and hog everything to ourselves, and he's saying, no, I want you to experience so much abundance that you are just giving away. Get out of this old hogging it all, trying to save it all for myself and get into this abundance of pouring yourself out. Isn't that what Jesus did for you? So he's trying to move us from one to the other. This isn't a New Testament idea. It's a, it's a very biblical, long-term, even Old Testament idea. The psalmist in Psalm 51 writes, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was born that way. I've got this old, sinful, nature that's got a hold of me and it's literally killing me i'm spiritually dead and i'm destined for death because the wages of that sin is death and so i'm going to the grave i'm walking dead here and i'm going to spend eternity away from god because i'm under his judgment and sin doesn't get to go live with god for eternity So my own sinful nature, my own sinful existence keeps me from him. That's why Jesus came to live his life here, to show us what it looked like to live a life united with God and to go to the cross and on the cross take the blame take the punishment for my sin jesus was punished in my place on the cross died for my sin he was killed for what i had done the wages of sin is death and so jesus took it for me he died in my place and then three days later he rose again to give me abundant life new life something different than this old hog into myself right something new, something better, something much, much, much greater. That's what he does in you and me. But yet we still <sighs> straddle these two things, don't we? I mean, we, we've we been saved how long now? We've been saved for months, years, decades. And we still got one foot in the old and one foot in the new. And, this fight still goes on inside of us. Am I right? So here's what Paul describes as he as he goes on in Galatians five. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when when, when you when you lean into that old self, the results are very clear. And then he gives us a list. I just put the list out here for you. He says. He says this is this is what it looks like when you're all leaning into that old nature. You have sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and others like these. I know you're probably like me and you're looking at that list, well, I don't have most of those, you know. I'm not a drunk. I, I'm not an idolater. I'm not a sorcerer. I don't have sexual immorality. I mean, I, I don't have most of those. Maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe you're not. I think it's interesting how Paul lists these things out. I mean, he. I just made them into a two-column list. It's actually, if you look at it in your Bible, it's just, you know, they're all just separated by commas in the paragraph. I just put them out in a list like this. But I can't help but see what these things are all about. These things are all about me getting what I want, about me hoarding and hogging things to myself. You know, the world's view on sexual immorality is radically different than our view, right? I mean, the world view today on your sex life is that your sex life is just, it's whatever you want it to be. It's a recreational activity between consenting adults. And you can do whatever you want to in that realm. You can live your life however you want to. Uh, It's just, I mean, it's just a fun activity. However, God's view on sex is radically different the world looks at us and think they think that we're prudes, they think that we think sex is somehow dirty, that it's somehow objectionable, that we should, you know, keep far, far away from that. But God's view on sex is this is one of the most beautiful gifts I could have ever dreamed up for you. It's a beautiful gift that I'm giving you in your life. God sees this as sacred. He sees it as holy. We don't have some kind of prudish, dirty view on sex. We have a very, very high view of sex, and we think it's so good that God gave this to us that that God says this is reserved for a married man and a married woman. And anything, anytime sex happens outside of that, it's potentially a disaster. It's sin because it lowers the view of this beautiful gift that God's given. So we value it highly. We regard it as holy the way God does. Can I get an amen on that? Sexual immorality, when you have follow the desires of your sinful nature, you will be immoral in this. You will be against God in this. I could go through everything here. I could talk about all these, and I I don't have time, uh, but you're probably thinking I don't have idolatry and sorcery, and I'd say, really? Are you sure? Because sorcery is manipulating the spiritual realm to get what you want. So I wonder, I wonder how many times do we pray selfishly? How many times do we pray prayers trying to twist God's arm to give us what we think we want? How close do we really become to sorcery? You know, idolatry. You say, I don't really have idolatry, but I I know people whose possessions have so consumed them that they have spent all of their money to upgrade or to increase or to go larger or whatever on the stuff, and they have no money for God and for what He wants to do in and through them. Quarreling, come on, quarreling, we have that, don't we have that? Do I need to explain quarreling? Jealousy dissension division dissension do we have dissension you know i know i know i know when you when the boss comes in and he kind of barks some orders and then he goes out and then you all the rest of you who are left in the room look at each other and roll your eyes okay that's what he said but here's what we're going to do that's dissension that's a work of the flesh that's death talking in our lives division boy do we see that in the body of christ envy drunkenness wild parties wild parties uh one translation says orgies it's uh you know wild parties drunkenness orgies associated with pagan worship in those days so he says these things are the work of the flesh And he says this, let me tell you again, as I've said before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anybody leaning into that instead of leaning into him will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, he says, This is what he says next in verse 22. He says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And I can't help but look at this, and I see that these are not about me. They're about others around me. You know, they're about how I engage with other people through love, through joy, through peace, by having patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. I mean, there's so much about how I deal with others. And I think, I think some of these are interesting, you know, loving others. Huh. I'm just thinking about this right now, and I i'm just I'm looking at this verse, and I think it's interesting, and I'm sure you do too. I think we just lost power behind the stage or something. There it goes. Um, the The spirit produces this kind of fruit singular. Did you notice that? that it's not fruits, it's fruit. In other words, this is the fruit. You go to a blueberry bush, and there's one kind of fruit. You go to an orange tree, there's one kind of fruit. You go to a blackberry bush, there's one kind of fruit. And so this is the one kind of fruit, singular, that God produces. In other words, you know, I hear people will tell me, oh, I'm kind, I'm kind. I I can be really kind, you know, I just don't love people what I mean I'm, I'm patient I just don't love people I just want to be away I just don't I don't really care for others very much Well, that's the I mean if he's listing it out in order of priority that's the number one thing and this all comes together as a package you can't say well I got this one and this one but I don't have this one and that one because the fruit is what is produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives I think, uh, I think I struggle with a lot of these myself. I mean, I'm a pretty plain old redneck white guy, and I struggle with patience. Can not get any, anybody else here struggle with patience? Thanks, David Lynn. I appreciate your affirmation on that. Uh, yeah, I struggle. I struggle with patience. You know, and the last thing you want to do about patience is to pray for God to give you patience. Am I right? Why is that? because he will put you in situations that grow your patience. Took the motorcycle to see my granddaughter over the weekend, and um, I decided I would, I was talking about this earlier, I decided I would head over there the quickest way possible, which is all interstate. Interstate on the motorcycle, no fun. Especially once you get all the way down, you know, 515, 575, merge onto 75, and there's a traffic accident that has just happened at the 120 loop a couple of miles after that merge. And so you sit and sit and sit. I mean, I literally, I stopped the bike and got off and I just kind of walked around for a little while and I'm watching people in other cars, cussing and spitting, you know, and, and just everything i was like god i don't know what you're doing i guess you're trying to help me be patient so i start praying you know just quietly praying for other people in the cars around me and praying for the people in the accident and all that stuff and and finally after literally like an hour i get on the road and and finally make it over there to see my My granddaughter spent the night there, and the next day I was like, "Okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to go back home." And Zach's like, "I bet you're not going to take the interstate." And I said, "Yeah, there's kind of a back way. I'm going to take the first 12 miles on the interstate, but then I'm going to get off in Lagrange and I'm going to go back the back road, so I don't have to deal with that anymore because I don't want to deal with that. I don't ever want to have to sit in traffic again like that uh, because that tries my patience." He's like, "It's probably a smart move before you get near Atlanta. Just get off and." go the back way okay so I get on the interstate and there was a crash about two miles past where I got on the interstate and I sat I got off the bike and I'm walking around God what are you doing here and I'm praying that God will give me patience and everybody else cussing and spitting and praying for patience and you know praying for the people in the accident you know God will deal with your patience if you let him I like that he kind of wraps them all up with self-control. I like that. Self-control. Well, hold on a minute. I thought, this was, I thought this was about spirit control. What's this self-control? What is this self-control? You know, really, honestly, when the spirit comes in your life, he builds into you the, the discipline to be a person of order, a person who has priorities and purpose, a person who's able to say no to things that you have the freedom to do in order to say yes to do the things that God wants you to do. There's no law against these things. He produces this fruit. What Paul's showing us, what Paul's showing us in all this passage in Galatians 5, it's the next blank on your page, is Paul says, I've got one foot in each. I got one foot in each. Jesus buys my freedom, that's my justification, but the Holy Spirit works out my sanctification. The whole What he's saying is the goal here is that the Spirit would, the whole purpose of my sanctification is the Spirit would move in, that he would come in and take over my sinful nature, that he would ultimately eliminate and do away with my sinful nature as I die to my old self and he lives in and through me. Does that make sense? That's what he's out to do in my life and in your life so that there is no straddling anymore, but we're standing, standing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. So many of us have been followers of Jesus for so many years and yet see virtually no change in our lives i mean we've been doing it long enough to where we we got the lingo down you know we found a church that's comfortable for us we know how to you know grease the skids whenever we're around the other christians you know we uh we know how to say how you doing great how are you doing great you know praying for you buddy you know, we got that all down. We know all the lingo, but the reality is we're still doing this. We're still straddling with one foot in each. I mean, maybe there was a time years and years and years ago where you saw God really working in your life, the Spirit was moving and changing you, but it's been a long time. And your stance isn't getting any narrower and you're still the same person you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Holy Spirit not making change in your life. And so here's, here's my big question for you for today, ready? Why in the world would you expect the Holy Spirit to be changing you in your life. Why would you even expect it? Why do you think you even need the Holy Spirit in your life? Remember, his goal is to change you from the natural to the supernatural. His goal is to change you from death to life, right? He's calling you to build a spiritual house, a supernatural house, That's his work in and through us, but we keep leaning into everything we know. We keep leaning into everything that we're used to, that we're accustomed to, and we build what we know, and we don't rely on the supernatural. Why would you expect him to work in your life when you keep leaning hard into yourself? Let me ask the question this way. It's the next blank on your page. What in my life requires the Holy Spirit? What am I doing in my life that even requires the Holy Spirit? I mean, what am I stepping out on faith to obey Him in? Of course, I don't experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit because I'm not going where He's taking me. I'm leaning hard back into my old self all along. What am I even doing that requires his presence, his power in my life? Are you discipling younger people around you? Are you, are you doing that? Because I promise you, taking others under your spiritual wing, that requires the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But if you're not doing something like that, you don't need him. When was the last time that you stepped out in faith to speak bold, loving truth into other people's lives? Bringing peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. When was the last time you injected truth into a conflict situation that could result in danger for you? Are you doing that? because that requires the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not doing that, then you don't need Him. When was the last time that God used you to take down spiritual strongholds in people's lives? When was the last time God wanted you to forgive that person that hurt you so bad? If you're not doing those things, you don't need the Holy Spirit in your life. Hey, some of us, some of us in the room here today, some of us have been in a life group for years, years, and most of our life groups are. Am I right, Steve? Busting at the seams. We're literally turning people away from having the ability to love each other because we're like, we don't have. I'm sorry, we don't have room for you in in life groups this life group is running. We got groups running in the 20s. And so we don't have room. And you've been in that life group sucking it up for years. And we desperately, desperately need life group leaders. And you seem to have every excuse why you shouldn't lead a life group. Sounds like you need the power of the Holy Spirit. But as long as you're going to sit and soak, you don't Need him. Your life group leader has even approached you. <laughs> Stephen Mansell may have approached you. But you've got every reason not to. You've got every reason to keep leaning into what you know. Jesus says in Luke 9, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Right? He's telling us you got to let go of the old life and you've got to cling to the Spirit instead. Paul goes on in Galatians 5, and he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Here's the Spirit saying, come out from that old, and we keep saying, no, I want to lean in. But if we really want to be people of the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So here's the bottom line. Here's why you don't need the Spirit. If you want to be a good moral person attending church weekly, making some contacts, and to be thought of well in your community, you don't need the Holy Spirit. If you want God to change you up to a point, you don't need the Holy Spirit. If you wanna hold on to control, to money, to hatred, to a grudge, to your pet sin, if you wanna hold on to those things, you don't need the Holy Spirit. If you wanna be part of a small group, a prayer group, but you really just wanna gossip about everybody around, you don't need the Holy Spirit. If you wanna serve as long as it's comfortable, If you wanna give as long as it doesn't cost too much, you don't need the Holy Spirit. If you wanna be in a life group and have every reason not to lead one, you don't need the Holy Spirit. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the typical American standard practice Christianity is spirit-less. You don't need the Holy Spirit to live that but that's not the life that Jesus died for you to live. Can I get an amen? He died for you to live a supernatural, abundant, powerful, changing everything around you life. That's what he is leading you into. Is that a good description of where we are, church? Let's be led by the Spirit instead of being led by our old nature. Here's what William Hendrickson, one of my favorite commentators, writes. He says, if the source of our life is the Spirit, the Spirit must also be allowed to direct our steps so that we make progress, advancing step by step toward the goal of perfect consecration to the Lord. It doesn't just mean that you're good and you're holy and you walk around with your hands clasped and a halo on It means that everything you are is owned by Him. Everything you are is used by Him. This walking by the Spirit is the only way to administer the finishing touch to that which has already been dealt a mortal blow. It's the only way to deal with the flesh along with its passions and desires. We should destroy the power of the negative by means of the invincible positive, the Holy Spirit. So my call, my plea, my beg for you today is to stop leaning into yourself and instead, last blank on your page, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Step out in faith. Obey His call. Trust Him and walk in power in your life. See what He wouldn't change and reform into His image.